This is an ABC podcast. This is the Conversation Hour on ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. As parents, carers, grandparents, we're all time poor and we're doing our best to get toddlers and babies to eat healthy. But it can be a fight sometimes, sometimes just to get a small person to eat anything that vaguely resembles a vegetable. But then on top of that, there's the confusion and being health washed by companies with false claims and marketing statements that make us think we're actually doing the right thing. New research has revealed that those ready-made foods, baby and toddler foods, can carry up to 20 marketing claims that trick us into believing that these products are good for kids, when quite often they're not. And here's something else to add to it. Australia doesn't have any regulations around how much sugar can be in these foods. And many experts and health professionals are now saying there is an urgent need for change. Good morning. My name's Rochelle Hunt. You're co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable. Daniel, as the parent of a toddler, mm-hmm. this is something that not only rings true, but potentially really stresses you out and keeps you awake at night. Because it's easy to say, oh, well, we've got to get better at reading this and what the marketing claims are. But as a parent of a small person, when there's milestones to hit, when you're trying to get them to eat healthy, you're sleep deprived, it's really stressful. It really is, Rochelle. Good morning. I This is my life, this program at the moment. So I'm actually, I've got a little notebook here next to me. I'm going to be taking notes because we've got some really good experts who are hopefully going to clarify some of this health washing that we're seeing on programs and on, and on packaging, even down to the way that the food is consumed, which has blown my mind a bit. In a way, it almost feels a little bit predatory. And I say that word with a with a bit of hesitance, but parents at the moment, we are sleep deprived. We have, I mean, any parent at the moment has gone through, anyone with a, a toddler or a young person on the back of a pandemic has just gone through a horrendous time. Mm. And we need to make it as easy as possible for people to make a, a simple choice or an informed choice. And when we're seeing packages that, that say one thing, but the actuality is another. This is on top of all of the stresses that that parents of toddlers and babies have at the moment. It's how do you win in this situation? That's right. And if the marketing is there to health wash the parents, but then it's also made to look fun and entertaining so that it gets yeah. the kids attention, then there's the guilt that you can tap into because the parental guilt is through the roof, especially when you're supposed to be hitting these milestones. And let's face facts, half of us don't know what we're doing when it comes to parenting anyhow. So if you (laughs) add all of that together, you're starting to see why people are buying products Mm -hmm. that are looking to certain products that claim to give you the answers. And also, they almost claim to be helping you out, Daniel. Like, don't worry, I'm here to help. 100%. And the scary thing is that the majority of these claims aren't backed up or aren't reaching the standards that are required by the World Health Organization. So the Food for Health Alliance did a little bit of research into some of these claims that are on foods that's specifically for babies or toddlers, and it found that 72% of them actually didn't reach the health standards that's been set by the World Health Organization. And, And when you're faced with that amount of not misinformation, but but product that doesn't do really what it says on the tin, how are we sleep-deprived parents supposed to have a win? So everything from those squeezy pouches, the impacts that it's having on kids' (laughs) ability to be able to chew and the fact that I just learnt off air that you're not even supposed to squeeze them into your mouth. You're supposed to squeeze them into a bowl and use a spoon. (laughs) Just going to let that sit there for a while. How do we know what to believe? So if you have a toddler in your household at the moment as a parent, as a grandparent, do you find kids' food confusing and do you feel like you're being health washed? Joining you to wade our way through this, as always, a warm welcome to Dr. Sandro DeMeo, the CEO of Vic Health, Dr. Jay Martin, who's the Executive Manager for Food and Health Alliance, and joining us from our 
Hobart Studios, Dr Alex Chung, who's a Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow from Melbourne University. And she's also a part of the Health and Social Care Unit at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine. Jane, let's go to you first. You're a part of this research. When we look at baby food and toddler food, there can be up to 20 claims on one product and the claims are all, this is going to make you a better parent and this is great for you and it's healthy (laughs) and five serves of vegetables, ease, whatever it may be. How problematic is this industry? Look, it's really problematic. It's very much a growth industry. So we're seeing more and more of these products on the shelves. Uh, And what we found was the average number of claims on products was eight. Um, People... It conveys a health halo when these products say that they're um, no added sugar. Those sorts of claims and a lot of those products are high in added sugar. And we have just seen a change made to that. So some of these products that do carry that claim that parents believe, you know, confers healthiness on the product, they won't be able to carry it. But it is very confusing for parents. There's a lot of information on the front of the packaging the truth is on the back of the packaging Mm. and what we're we're calling for is better regulation by government to support parents um, by reducing the added sugars in these products um, ensuring that they're more honest um, and clear with their labeling so that parents aren't being hoodwinked when they're in the shopping center buying these products which are as i said everywhere um, and look much healthier than than they in fact are one of the terms that we've heard at the top of the show, which I think it'd be great to get a, a bit of an overview and understanding of, is health washing. Listeners are probably aware of green washing, which is a, a subject that we've done a couple of shows on. But um, Dr. Sandro DeMeo, can you tell us health washing? What is it? How big an issue is it here in Australia? Well, I think when we go to the supermarket, we expect that kind of we can trust what we see and we can trust what people are telling us. We're a very trusting nation and so if you go into the supermarket and something says it's healthy or something says that it doesn't have added sugar, you'd expect that it's healthy and it doesn't have added sugar. But actually what is becoming more and more common is companies are using these terms, using sort of healthy phrases, colours, you know, words like uh, natural or natural flavours, Um, you know, to confuse us and actually just to simply sell more of the product. So, you know, if you're a busy parent, a busy uncle, busy grandma or grandpa, you're in the store, you're trying to make the best possible decisions on a limited budget, you're of course going to, you know, going to reach out for the food that says all natural, no added sugar. Um, But invariably these days, that product can actually have a very large quantity of sugar Uh, And there's very little governance, very little restrictions around what people can put on the product uh, and and how truthful, in fact, it is. We want to try and get to the bottom of that today in terms Mm -hmm. of, well, where does that governance come from? Where does it start and what does that look like? Before we speak to Dr Alex Chung, there's a text here that says... Bought baby food is just laziness. Adults are encouraged not to buy or eat processed food. What do parents think baby food is? Now, we want to make sure that on today's program that we are not blaming parents Mm. in any way. Absolutely not at all. We have all been, and Dan is right in the Mm -hmm. eye of the storm at the moment right now. So this is not about blaming the parent. But does that argument, I guess, Sandra, you would hear that all the time, especially when we talk about weight or obesity, uh, diabetes, that people say, well, it's your fault. You shouldn't have eaten it. Look, I think we have to focus on making it easier, more affordable, more possible for more Australians to be healthy. There is not a parent out there who doesn't want the best for their kids. You know, not a parent in Australia who doesn't want to put the best possible food uh, you know, in front of their kids. But we're on tight budgets. We're on tight timeframes. We're working multiple jobs. We're commuting long distances. Times have changed from 20 or 30 years ago and particularly in the last couple of years with the cost of living. So I think now more than ever, we need to make it really simple. If a parent goes to a supermarket, they should be able to buy good quality, nutritious food. And if it says it's nutritious on the packet, and it should, it should actually yeah. be nutritious. Yeah. And, and it shouldn't be, you know, a serving, five serving size, sizes in a, in a packet that looks like one. It shouldn't be deceiving. It shouldn't be, you know, as, as we said, kind of verging on exploitation. It should be simple. It should be straightforward. It should be honest. And that's what we expect from uh, you know, the people who produce our food so that we can make the best possible decisions with the money we have and the limited time frame. 
Dr. Alex Chung, you are a VicHealth postdoctoral research fellow at Monash University, and this is something that you've done a little bit of research into yourself. Can you tell us a bit about exactly what your fellowship is looking at, the work that you're doing, and how it relates to baby-led weaning and, and uh, this, this baby food that we're seeing and the claims that are made on those packages? Yeah, sure. Good morning, and thanks for having me. So my research, uh, funded by VicHealth, is looking into baby and toddler food marketing from a couple of different aspects. First of all, we're looking at how the processed food industry is using marketing and promotion to target children and their parents with these foods. We've also done some work uh, talking with parents to understand how they choose these foods and how the marketing really influences the food choices that they make. And it's been really interesting listening to the conversation so far this morning. Um, I really echo the sentiment that every parent wants to do the very best that they can when they're choosing foods for their children. We know parents want their children to be healthy and they want to make healthy choices for their children, especially around food and nutrition. But what we're finding from the research that I've been doing, um, I'm at Monash Uni, but the research is funded by VicHealth and the research really shows that the food industry is using all kinds of marketing and promotional techniques to target children and their parents to convince them and encourage them to buy these foods under the guise of choosing healthy products for young kids. So as Jane mentioned, we really hope that we can have stronger regulation by governments to make sure that marketing's honest and these foods are nutritionally appropriate for young children. This is such a big conversation really when you start to pull it apart and look at the reasons as to why, you know, whether it's because we're being health washed and we think that this is going to make life easier, that there's actually five serves of vegetables in this and I can't even get them to eat one. But there's this message, and I know, Alex, you've looked into this with your research, and it says, you know, this is all part of that big too fast lives that we're told to aspire to. There should be time to cook whole foods for kids. But if you look at this from a whole society conversation, and we are told that busy is more successful and busy is better, and we sort of congratulate people on how stressed they are even though Mm -hmm. that's shifting a little bit but Alex what does your research actually tell us just about our household dynamic and how that's shifted over the years yeah when we talk to parents now they explain to us how busy their lives are most families that we talk to have two parents working they've got young children and quite busy days and what we're seeing in terms of the food industry then, is that the food industry is playing right into that. So when we look at food packages, we're seeing promotional claims that talk about the convenience of food. So we'll see claims across the front of pack that say, this is a great on-the-go snack for your young child. We see a huge uh, dominance of those squeezy pouches that you've been talking about in the supermarkets that really encourage this sort of grab-and-go type of consumption. So we're really seeing that as families' lives get busier, the food marketing trends really pick up on that and and try and sell us products that really mirror the the convenience, I suppose, that, that goes with our busy lives. Unfortunately, though, a lot of these products aren't nutritionally adequate for young children. So the squeezy pouches that we're talking about are quite high in sugar, they're often um, intensely sweet and then a lot of the snack foods that are being promoted as these on-the-go snacks are really just um, quite highly processed puffs and flakes and things like that that don't <laughs> don't offer a lot of opportunity for young children to really develop good eating habits in terms of the content of the food but also in terms of the nutritional value of the food and the opportunity to develop sort of chewing and swallowing type behaviours that we would expect young children to be developing from eating more whole foods. So are you a parent, a carer? Is this ringing true for you? Do you find that toddler and children's food is confusing or perhaps do you feel like you're being health washed? This is The Conversation Hour. On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. Good morning, Rochelle Hunty with you in Melbourne. Your co-host this morning, Daniel Miles, joining you from ABC Warnable. And in the studio, Dr. Sandro DeMaio, CEO of Vic Health, Dr. Jane Martin, Executive Manager of the Food Health Alliance, and joining us from our Hobart studios, Dr. Alex Chung, who is a Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow from Monash Uni, who's been looking into the health washing that comes into kids and in particular toddlers' food. What needs to change? When we were talking about certainly not blaming anyone here, this message, it says, I was a working single mum. I had severe postnatal depression. Fed kids were better than hungry kids. No one gets to judge me until they've walked in my shoes. Let's have a chat to Megan, who's in Bentley. Morning, Megan. 
Oh, good morning. Um, I was just ringing up. I wondered if um, anyone's got any advice or um, or if there's even specialists on um, working with children and parents around food. My um, my seven-year-old daughter, I'm a single parent with one child, and she is the fussiest eater mm. I've, I've ever known. I can't get her to eat a single bit of healthy food, and it, it's really quite disturbing distressing because I um yeah. you know like mm. not potato not no vegetables no cheese no it, it, it it's bordering on ridiculous it is stressful as a and I can sympathize as a parent of a of a fussy eater mm. you know there can be tears at the table at nights and when you're just at your wits end tr- simply just trying to get mm. her to try a, a tiny little bit of corn for example Absolutely. Megan ends up <laughs> in a huge fight that idea and what makes it even harder too, Megan, I don't know if you've experienced this, where people say, oh, well, just to try this or just try that. And you're like, mm. I've yeah. tried everything. Mm. What what can you do in those instances? I'm, I'm not sure who's best to answer this. Yeah, it's, look, it's not easy. And I won't give uh, individual uh, medical advice over the radio. But what I will say is, first of all, the Royal Children's Hospital has some really amazing resources on this exact topic because I've been asked this question before. So head to the Royal Children's website and um, search for um, particularly kind of eating and, you know, eating veggies, as simple as that. Some advice I would, I would give, um, which is kind of more broad. The first is uh, it's very normal. Uh, so be be kind on yourself and be kind on your kids as well. It's something that um, everyone will go through. And it's actually part of the develop- normal development of the child to push back and say no to certain things. They're, they're exploring their own kind of identity, their own boundaries. The second is um, try lots of different things. You know, there might be things that they don't like, just like we don't as adults, uh, and that's okay. Uh, the third is that it might take multiple times. It often takes three, four, five times for kids uh, to be given something. They might kind of poke it the first time, throw it the second time, um, and then try it the third time and realise that it's not as bad. So um, there's some really simple, uh, you know, ideas mm. around particularly the veg. But, yeah, head to RCH website. There's some great advice there. And, Megan, I actually yeah. think I'm going to do a follow-up program on when you were talking about extreme... Um, almost food avoidance and the difference between being a fussy eater and a fear of food and some of the underlying issues that may be occurring because Megan don't worry I'm on the same page as you so stay tuned and we might actually follow up on that as well. Andrew's in Richmond. Hi Andrew. Oh hi Um, I know so many people who believe they swallow everything (laughs) that is written on a label like this packet contains nothing but 21 oranges and I just wanted to know are there any restrictions on what they write on the label or can they just make up whatever they like? Jane? Um, there are um, labelling laws, but we are concerned that the foods for babies and toddlers um, aren't regulated in the way that they should be allowing these claims. Um, it does have to be honest and truthful, but it is quite difficult when they're working within the lines of the law, but it's having an impact on what people are buying, what they're consuming and what they think. So we know, for example, that if a product has um, no added sugar in it, that more than 90% of people think that it's a healthier product. Um, and it may still be um, a high in sugar product. And that, that law will, will be changed now. A decision was made on Friday to change that. So high sugar mm. products will not be able to carry um, That's a big no deal. added That's sugar a big claims. Deal, yeah. it, it's really important. And also what happened on Friday was that the food ministers agreed to look at the issue of baby and toddler mm. foods. So they were presented with a paper on this and to consider what the policy options might be, really to ensure that we have um, clear information that parents aren't being hoodwinked, that we're getting honest, um, you know, representation so of these win. products. This yeah? is a massive win, yeah. And and I'm, uh, Jane's very modest, but I'm going to give a big shout out <laughs> to Jane and, and to so many public health people across the country, but also um, our federal health minister and the state health ministers. I mean, we often give governments a hard time because they're not, you know, backing people in hard enough when it comes to protecting, you know, protecting uh, Families making it easier to buy good food, but this is this was a big landmark kind of decision and moment for public health. It will make it easier for families who are you know navigating the food space. It will make food more honest, uh, which is really really important. And then, of course, at the end of the day, people decide what to put in their baskets. But if you can't navigate it, and if you can't find you know if it's not simple and also truthful, 
uh, very hard to do. So, um, yeah, big hats off to Jane mm-hmm. and also uh, to, to governments. When, when they do well, we should acknowledge it. Absolutely. So when will we actually see this in, um, in operation? What's it going to physically look like for mums and dads who are in the supermarket wanting to see something that is truthful when they're you know, reaching their hands out to that supermarket shelf and to feel like you know, what they're seeing is what they're getting? Yeah, look, that's a, a really good question. It is going to take quite a few years for this to be mm. actually implemented, the no added sugar. But we're hoping that in the meantime, we'll see, because baby and toddler foods um, are so poor as far as nutrition goes, uh, and that there's a lot of momentum now within um, the health ministers and the food ministers, we're hoping to see faster action around foods for babies and toddlers. We can't wait. Mm. So, mm. It's so important that they're getting the nutrition that they need and that parents are empowered to be able to do that for them. Um, and at the moment, we see that the vast majority of these products, particularly um, snack foods for toddlers, are often very, very high in sugar and the labelling is very confusing. And I guess it's it's tricky as well because as years go by, there there are cohorts of toddlers who are going to be moving out of that, that area. Is this something that could potentially have its own brands of a consumer watchdog. We know we've got mm. the ACCC. They've got a very broad remit when it comes to making sure that things that are said in marketing or packaging is done accurately and correctly. But this is something that's really pivotal. This first thousand days of a kid's life is where we see so many habits and everything formed. Should it have its own branch, its own watchdog to help parents in this instance? Yeah, look, I think that's a really good point. And the federal government is developing an early years strategy And this is something that could fit into that. And I think there really is momentum um, in government to do something about this um, and shine a light on it. The World Health Organization, certainly um, Europe has developed standards around the nutritional um, content and how these products are marketed and sold. uh, And parents should be able to rely on what's on the packaging. So I think... Uh, that's a really good point. I mean, we'd like to see um, w- with something like the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, they they rely on complaints coming into them. So really, it's not there's not a watchdog out there. And I think we do need barely time a, to a feed our kids, let alone write yeah. letters of complaints. Uh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And yeah, it's hard to get action. We've written to them quite a lot. So I think um, yeah, I think that's a great idea. We really should be protecting the health of our youngest Australians. In particular, let's put go back to Dr. Alex Chung, who's joining us from our Hobart studio. There's a text here that says, "Is there even such a thing as healthy, ready-made meals? Those flavoured, squeezy yogurts that are sold in supermarkets for children, babies, and toddlers." Alex, let's focus on those squeezy pouches for a moment. I think Sandro, before you said, how many there were three or Jane three two two hundred and seventy six baby squeeze pouches were surveyed and two of them met nutrition criteria, international nutrition criteria around salt, fat, sugar um, and sodium. How much of an issue are these squeezy pouches? I know last time we spoke we were looking at breakfast cereal and how breakfast is kind of marketed to families to be fun. These squeezy pouches, my 10-year-old still gets excited by them in the supermarket because there's something fun about Mm. them. There's something convenient about them. How concerned are you about what they're doing to kids' mouths, their ability to chew, some of the claims that are made on squeezy pouches, and just the sheer volume of squeezy pouches there are now, from yogurt to vegetables? Yeah, it's overwhelming when you think about how many of these products are on the market today. And as you say, it spans fruit to vegetables to yogurts. I think they are really marketed as fun. When we looked at the packages of these kind of foods, we noticed that there's marketing that's directed to children. And that's certainly around fun. It's bright characters, it's cartoons, it's branded characters that parents and children will recognise. There's often pictures of healthy ingredients on the front that make parents think, oh great, I'll get some broccoli into my kid if I buy this particular pouch. When in fact, if you turn the back of the packet over, you might find that broccoli is the last listed ingredient on there and it's only around 2% of the total product. So certainly the way they're marketed and promoted does give you a sense that they're a fun choice for kids or a healthy choice for for parents to be choosing for their children. But as the research shows, um, they're not always nutritionally adequate. They're often high in added sugar. They've got very sweet flavours in them usually. So that's really encouraging children to 
desire sweet flavours and when children are learning to eat it's really important that they're actually exposed to a range of flavours so that they start to develop interest and familiarity with a diverse range of flavours and not just sweet foods. The other thing with the squeezy pouches is if you think about the size of the tube that the food has to come out of it's really quite small so the food has to be very pureed a very soft texture and when we see children that are very young and then moving through their toddler years or up to 10 years old, as you said, Rochelle, <laughs> we're seeing that children aren't being exposed to the variety of textures that are really necessary for children to develop good eating habits where they learn to chew foods and swallow foods that might have progressively soft lumps and then harder sort of chunks and things that the children have to really um, manage and that's part of developing normal eating behaviours. The other thing that you talked about earlier too is just sucking these foods out of the tube really means that children miss out on developmental opportunities for for their mouth and their tongue and their jaw but they also miss out on kind of normal eating behaviours like using a spoon which then leads into using a knife and fork and sitting at a table and having a regular sort of mealtime environment. So there's nutritional sort of concerns around these foods as well as developmental concerns. Is it true, and we learnt this off air, and Jane, we were chatting about this, that when we look at the per serve, because they look like a single serve, right? Mm. Don't make, make, yeah. I'm not sure what made me think that. But then the fact is that they say, well, no, it needs to be squeezed into a bowl and eaten with the spoon. I mean, everything about the squeezy pouch says straw, squeeze it, straight into your mouth like how is that even possible Alex it's quite misleading isn't it and certainly in the World Health Organization guidelines that have come out from Europe they really are quite specific to say that these products must have a statement on the back that recommends that parents squeeze the food out of the pouch and use a spoon to feed the children but that's not what you think when you see the pouch on the shelf it's it looks like a straw. It says straw. So parents are turning to these for a convenient option and understandably so. That's what it looks like. That's what it implies in this kind of packaging. So it's but really that misleading. on the go world yeah. that we're yep. moving yep. into. And with yep. that time, Paul, that this is exactly the market that this is really it's, – it's given to us – to have on the go. It's given to us to have as a squeeze. Uh, My mind is baffled at the moment um, and my notepad's quickly filling up. (laughs) Chris (laughs) has given us a call from Northcote. Good morning, Chris. G'day, how are you? Great program. Look, uh, there's a push by at the moment for the public to be told what lobbyists are discussing with parliamentarians. So now this issue we've got at the moment, what are the lobbyists Mm. telling parliamentarians about the uh, the goodness of the product they're trying to sell. And well, we've seen that with sure. the um, tobacco industry, the alcohol industry, and I know Sandro on this program. Chris, you raise a really good point. It's mm-hmm. a sore point, mm. but it's something that needs to be addressed, Sandro. Well, I think it brings back the complexity of, of so, you know solving this issue because I think, again, it's important to say we're not blaming parents. Parents are busy. They're trying to feed their kids. You know, these are convenient. They're probably part of, you know, an, a, a normal parenting life in 2023, but they need to be honest. So so why isn't there honesty? You think, well, surely the food companies should just, you know, sell. If, you, if a food company is selling a product that they know a one-year-old is eating, surely they're going to make sure that that food is honest but is also high-quality and nutritious. Well, turns out their interests are not so much for the one-year-old but making a profit, which reasonably, you know, if you're kind of, for most people listening, is probably like, well, of course, Sandra, that's the case. But there'll be a big group who think that that's outrageous and I personally sit in that camp. Um, so then why aren't they being forced or why why isn't the kind of, you know, the, the protections keeping up with making sure that they, the packaging is honest, the food is nutritious. And certainly issues like lobbying and influence of government is part of it. Um, but also it's just, you know, you're, you're continuing to play catch up in many ways with these companies. And so, you know, Jane was saying it's going to take a couple of years for this really important step to be implemented. I mean, I think we do need to find kind of ways of not constantly trying to play catch up of actually yeah. how, how and do then we... there's regulations or laws that we've put into place that many of us trust and believe now but then we start to question those and I'm talking about the health star rating mm-hmm. here there's mm. already multiple texts coming in saying it needs an overhaul organic extra virgin olive oil has three stars yet processed chocolate flavoured kid cereal has four health stars this is just bizarre 
Uh, there's less and less trust for something like the health star rating, I think, at the moment, anyhow. Yeah, and I, I think... Th- oh, sorry, Alex, you go. No, you go, Jane. Uh, I was just going to say that. <laughs> we're, so I mean, we're calling for the health star rating to be mandatory at the moment. It's on, um, you know, not even on 50% of products. So it certainly needs to be... Um, across all products it's it applies within category so that can be confusing so it applies across cereals for example or or sweet biscuits um it's on it should be on all foods and it should be improved so that it does highlight the healthier healthier product so there's some changes that need to be made from it i mean personally i'd like to see other things happen like teaspoons of sugar on sugary drinks for example Mm. um maybe some colors added um, to the rating and ma- made it, make it more fulsome so people can look at fat, salt, sugar. And it doesn't start to wash over you because you're used to it. Alex, what did you want to yeah. add? Sorry. Uh, I was just going to say with the Health Star rating, I agree with Jane's points, particularly around making it mandatory so that it's across all foods, making it easier for, for consumers to make comparisons. But when you're looking at the Health Star rating in the supermarket, trying to make your food choices, it's really important to compare Health Star ratings on products in the same category. So if you're looking at olive oil then look for the health star rating that's the highest within olive oil and then kind of clear your mind and walk into the breakfast cereal aisle for example and start again with your health star rating so you're not comparing the ratings that you saw on the olive oil with the breakfast cereals when you're looking for breakfast cereals look for the best rated breakfast cereal just within that category because there are different criteria for how the stars are awarded in different food is this how they get around it though is this why why we're all so confused it definitely adds to the confusion because I think people go in and think, well, I'll just look for the highest sort of stars on a packet. But people don't stop to think, well, if I'm looking at biscuits now and then I'm looking at cereal, I need to actually sort of reset my expectations. Because as the as the uh, person who sent the text in said, if you're comparing olive oil and, and chocolate cereals, um, there can be really sort of a a great source of confusion, I think. So just keep in mind that the one thing to keep in mind with Health Stars is that you're looking at the same product category um, when you're using Health Stars to help inform your choice. But Alex, the, the number of people who I've had this conversation with and they're surprised that don't understand that it's, you know, compare cereal with cereal, not cereal with spaghetti sauce. Because you think it's one, right, one yeah, Health yeah. Star. I mean, right? when, I, yeah. I, and I think we need to just, I mean, again, shows this should be intuitive. It should be easy for people. You know, government's job is to make it easy and industry's job is to produce the food and maximise their profits. If we assume that that's kind of the lay of the land, we need to make these things easier so that you can walk into a supermarket and make really good informed choices. If you then decide to eat the chocolate, you know, enjoy the chocolate. But you should, it, it shouldn't be difficult and you shouldn't be left confused whether it's the all-natural flavours on a product that's packed in, packed with unhealthy things, the, you know, sugar-free when it's two-thirds sugar or the Health Star rating that leaves you scratching your head. Yeah, I totally agree, Sandro. And I think that's why we need to keep taking this feedback from consumers, whether it's around the Health Star rating or the types of marketing and promotion on packets that really do cause confusion. We need to keep, keep taking this feedback this feedback and use that in our research and in our mm. advocacy to keep improving the way these products are marketed. Absolutely. This text here says the health style rating is a joke. Of course, people compare it across categories. Dr. Alex Chung is with you. She's in our Hobart studio, a Vic Health Postdoctoral Research Fellow at Monash University. Dr. Jane Martin, the Executive Manager for the Food Health Alliance. And Dr. Sandro DeMaio, the CEO of Vic Health. Do you find toddler and children's food confusing? And do you feel like you're being health washed? On ABC Radio Melbourne and Victoria. This is the Conversation Hour. Good morning, Rochelle Hunt here with you in Melbourne. Daniel Miles, your co-host this morning, joining you from ABC Warnable as we look at toddler food and some of the labels, some of the claims that it makes. How are you holding up, Dan? Mm-hmm. How's the guilt level <laughs> oh, right about now? Ha- I'm lucky I don't have a heart rate watch <laughs> because it'd be going through the roof, especially if it had a guilt monitor on it. Um, I think that'd be, yeah, it'd be peaking right now. I, I guess one thing that would be really good to clear up at this point as well, we're talking about mislabeled foods and, and parents who have the right intentions to do the right thing. The mm. intentions are there, but it's not coming through. Um, Dr. Sandro DeMeo, what is the result of this? When this comes through and we have people and toddlers and children who are eating things that aren't what they say on the packages, 
What's the result? Mm. Why do we care about this? Well, we care because at the end of the day, food is critical, probably the most critical thing to a healthy life, and particularly in the first thousand days of life, so during pregnancy and in the first two years of life. That, that's the most critical window of setting a child up for a healthy life lifelong. So the rest of their life is almost determined to a degree by what they're able to eat, the, the quality of the food they're able to afford and access in those very early years. So the stakes could not be higher. And when kids don't get the best food early in life, again, I don't, I don't for a second believe there is a parent out there who doesn't want the absolute best for their kids. So there is, there is no part of this that is about blame, blaming or shaming parents. But when parents aren't able to afford or don't understand or just simply cannot get good quality food in their cupboards and on the table for their kids, uh, you know, the, the results are very serious. I mean, we see things like dental caries. So poor, mm-hmm. poor dental uh, outcomes for kids, it's one of the leading reasons for missing school. Jane was saying before it's, you know, the leading reason for anaesthesia in one of our major tertiary hospitals in Victoria. Mm. Uh, you know, we see then chronic disease. I was up in northern Victoria recently. We're seeing chronic diseases that when I was a doctor 15 years ago were not seen in children. In, in 15 years, we're now starting to see those in kids. And, and that's because we're, you know, we're not able to ensure that enough Australians get really good quality food early in life. Part of that is affording it. We know there's a cost of living crisis. That's very real for parents. Part of it is being able to make the time between working two jobs and, and just the way our lives are at the moment, the pressures that parents are under. But part of it has to be making it really easy for parents. Yeah. It shouldn't be difficult. We shouldn't be putting us. roadblocks yeah. Uh, yeah, and, and tricking parents for the for the sake of what an extra buck for some company at the cost of the next generation of Australians. This message: My stepdaughter would eat nothing when visiting as a toddler. I discovered though that she would eat carrot when it fell on the floor, never on the plate. Here's the answer: Just throw it on the floor. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> we do that anyway. Generally. I was going to say Lottie's been doing. My daughter's been doing that for the last twelve months, throwing things on the floor, but she hasn't been eating them. So I guess I need that next <laughs> next thing after that. France um, in Forest Hill morning. Oh, morning. Um, I just love this topic because it's so important to look after our kids. But I I started listening when you were talking about the pouches and my kids are 10 and 12 now, so I'm a bit past the toddler thing. But I remember at that German supermarket, they had um, spoons, silicon spoons that actually screwed onto the pouch. Oh, so that yeah. you could squeeze it out and the kids could use the spoon. What are the kids actually going to be doing? I mean, then they've got the <laughs> landfill issue, though, as well, Fran, don't you? But yep. that's just it's a one workaround. step closer. But, but, yeah. but they're re- reusable. Okay. Mm. So, um, anyway, so I just thought about that when you were talking about, you know, they're not using the spoon. Mm. And the other thing with the stars that I used to do, because you know what toddlers are like particularly as they get kind of in those older years. Mum, mum, I want, you know, oh, whatever. Yes. <laughs> Whatever's got a lot of sugar in it, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes. And so I use the stars to talk to my kids about it. And I go, okay, well, turn the packet over, find the stars. And if there were no stars, it just went back automatically. But I'd say, how many stars is it? And they go, three or two or one I go well what do you think mum's going to say yes. and they looked at me and went no and I said correct put it back <laughs> oh and Fran so it sounds like you and I would get along in the supermarket but I wonder <laughs> Fran do you start to feel like I've got my daughter now turning things over and saying mum it's only got X amount of blah blah and she's trying to pitch it to me right like, it, like it's a <laughs> yeah, debate yeah, yeah. in the supermarket she's trying to get it over the line but then you even you don't know what's real and what isn't no that's true and but I think we have to, like, we have to teach our kids to be intelligent. You know, I often say to the other mums at school, you know, I really want my kids to be intelligent and to question things, but not me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Question everything, but not me. I love it. I love it. That's so (laughs) true. Alex, is that just a way of getting around it by putting a spoon on the squeezy pack? I mean, is that just a cop out? I think if we're saying that having the pouch there with the straw is misleading, I suppose putting the spoon there actually takes away that misleading notion that this is a straw food now and it is really helping you 
um, see that it's a spoon food rather than a straw food. So for me, that's a step in the right direction, mm. um, albeit there's there's landfill concerns and all the rest. But just listening to you and Fran talk now, I'm thinking when you when you want to look for what's real on a packet, my number one tip is really to turn the packet over and read the ingredients list. Look for as few ingredients as possible and look for things that you recognise. There, there are some food labelling laws and the ingredients list and the nutrition information panel are places where manufacturers do have to be honest. Mm. So if you're looking for the real information and the honest information, it's the back of the packet. Um, so look past all the marketing and promotion mm. on the front and, and flip it over um, and see what's in there. I love the idea of getting kids engaged with food literacy. In babies and toddlers, we're probably not getting them to read the packets just yet. But as children grow up, there is an opportunity to talk to them about it when you have the time. Yeah, there's know. nothing so like a debate yeah. in aisle four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think it's followed by a clean-up in aisle four. <laughs> it, it also just reminds us that, like, you know, we can't come to this conversation with too much judgment. That's not black and white. That you know, a, a small step in the right direction. I mean, these pouches will will still probably have a place. So if parents can use a spoon, and then we make sure the pouches are actually healthy and honest, you know, that that's a, that's probably a good a good interim step. This on the text line, my little monkey just turned two. Thank goodness we can only eat junk food now. No, but seriously, I think the scariest thing of all the sugary meals out there in the satchels, you can't blame parents for going for convenience, but I believe in the old adage, if our great-grandparent wouldn't recognise it, then don't Mm. feed it to your toddler. My best hack is a heap of whole grains in the freezer, cooked, ready to get nuked. Cheers from Charlie in Carlton. There's a little bit of... Uh, sage advice on the text line from Charlie. So thanks for sending that in. Hillary's given us a call from Geelong. Good morning, Hillary. Good morning. What would you like to say? Um, well, first of all, I'm not sure if it's been mentioned, but of course the time where these foods are necessary is only from six months of age till 12 months because babies of 12 months should be starting to eat family foods. So it's not a very big window And also, I was wondering in this, as you've mentioned already, that with the budgetary constraints of households Mm. at the moment, these packaged foods are so much more expensive than made from scratch, and they're environmentally not very good either. So a lot of parents are very interested in that side of things. And if everyone's cooking dinner at night or most nights for for themselves, then it doesn't really take much more time or money to add in a few more of the vegetables and mash them up and freeze them in ice cubes and then you know exactly what your child's getting and it's probably a fraction of the cost. I'll never forget mashing up and putting into little satchels what I um, I had did veggies and... Um, mm-hmm. and, and Still doing and, it. Yeah, and <laughs> fruits, but wondered why my daughter, I think I've told the story on air, wondered why my daughter wasn't eating her mashed pear on her wheat bix Yeah. <laughs> it, it was cauliflower. <laughs> 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 yep, I wouldn't be eating it either. Because as you go out, you know, as a parent, you always manage to eat whatever they're full. Yeah, so yep. that's part of the reason. Is it fair to say everything that we've just heard from Hillary there, I mean, it's all good mm. in an ideal world, right? But is it fair to assume that people are home for the family meal every night, that parents are home to cook up the family meal? Is it even fair to assume that fruit and vegetables are cheaper than some of this junk food? Is a lot of that not necessarily the case? I'm not sure who wants to answer that. Jane? Yeah, well, we did some work, work, uh, research with the Royal Children's Hospital and we found that it doesn't make up 90% of children's diet. It is, um, you know, people turn to these commercial foods um, for snacks and some meals, but it's not the bulk of what um, most children are eating. It's something that's used, um, you know, less, um, it's, it's not an everyday thing, mm. but when we uh, surveyed these products um, about within, within a year, they'd grown from sort of 300, 400 to 500. They're, they're growing in size. They're taking up more space in the supermarket. They are becoming more popular. And when parents are time poor, two parents working, it, it is harder. And when these products look healthy, healthy. Mm, yep. then you of course you're going to be driven you know, driven right? to them. And it's the convenience, really. Because they're not nuggets, right? We all know nuggets sometimes food that they're bad for you, but yeah. you buy and them if, sometimes. But if they're wrapped up to look like a healthy piece of organic, organic roast chicken, yeah. then it's different. Exactly. Dr. Alex Chung, in your research, have you looked into, and this is something we're getting a lot on the text line, uh, 
it comes down to laziness. Parents are lazy. This is the reason that people go to pouches because all of us parents, are, we're, we're just lazy buggers, to be totally honest. I, is that what you're seeing in your research? Uh, that's not at all what we're seeing. And I don't agree with that statement at all. Parents aren't lazy. Parents are doing the best that they can. What we're seeing in our research is that the food industry is using marketing to really convince parents that these products are healthy. And I think that's partly why we're seeing such a growing number of these products in the supermarket shelves. I think that, as we've said already, every parent wants to do the best they can for their children and parents want their kids to be healthy. And that's why we're seeing the food industry use claims around health and development on the front of these packets. You know, our research showed that as well as the no added sugar claims that we've talked about, we see claims that talk about children meeting their developmental milestones. So they're handheld snacks, they're easy to grasp, they encourage self-feeding. So no matter what sort of angle parents might be working on with their kids, the food industry is there, ready yeah, to they, sell they you a product that will meet that need. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, so, I think it's also, as you said, Alex, I mean, it's not like parents are buying these products knowing they're unhealthy and kind of taking the shortcut. I think most people actually think that mm-hmm. what is written on a packet from a brand that they have grown up to trust mm-hmm. is going to be honest. And it's Absolutely. not. And the serving size is not honest. The labels on the front are not honest. The you know the health star rating is difficult to navigate as we've already talked about. So I think parent, parents are picking them up, thinking that they're a healthy you know alternative. And as Jane said, they might have their place, but you know it, it, I don't think it's about I don't think it's about laziness. I think it's about misinformation and about probably a, a bit of exploitation as we've talked about. How do we change it? Who is responsible? I mean, is it going to take something like a, a class action from society to say our dental hygiene is just in the gutter because of all of this food you told us was healthy? Is it what is actually going to? Sh- is it huge fines to companies that have been proven to mislead? What what happens next? Yeah, look, we have seen Heinz um, be fined by the consumer regulator and the and the federal court around um, a product which was not as nutritious as it was marketed. Um, But I think what we need and what we're calling for with other public health agencies is for uh, a removal of all these claims, which we can see a burgeoning on these products, um, you know, an average of eight, um, that the the name of the product and how it's represented accurately reflects what's in it. So something called broccoli, pea and apple is not, you know, mostly apple. Um, so that parents can really trust how these products are presented. And then limits on um, sodium in foods for toddlers and limits on how much sugar can be added to these foods for babies and for toddlers because we found in our research that these products are sweetened, often with apple and often with concentrates. And when you're buying a snack for your child, it shouldn't be the equivalent of a a Smartie. You're not buying Smarties. You're not buying confectionery. You're buying Mm. something which you think, Mm. you know, is some kind of yogurt melt or whatever it's called. And, you know, these products are as high in sugar as as some lollies and Mm. you just wouldn't give that to your child. This is probably, for a lot of parents out there, a pretty sobering discussion, something that's uh, making some parents feel a level of guilt or, or even just... Anger? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exasperation. What do we actually do? So let's let's take this and, and spin it to a positive. A question for the panel. What do we do as a young parent where we're looking at things, we're trying to make the right decisions and do the best by our kids? We're now looking at pouches with a bit of a cautious view. What's something that new parents can take away from this new information we've learned? Alex? I think being cautious is great advice, Daniel. I think that what we're seeing through our research and what we've talked about today is that the the marketing and the promotion on the front of these packets is not necessarily something that you can trust. So for parents to take caution when they enter the supermarket and go to that baby food aisle that's right from the heading at the top of the aisle encouraging you to choose food for your children there be cautious and be wary of the marketing when you have the time turn the packet over and read that ingredients list to see what's in there and have a look at the nutrition information panel choose the lowest possible sugar content when you're comparing different products because the marketing on the front is really trying to sell you a product so take the time when you can to choose carefully 
And I wonder, this is from Sue and Sandro, I think this is something that you and I and I have been speaking about all year and it sounds like, it says, this text says, sounds like the cost of living crisis and no doubt the housing crisis is more broadly a public health crisis when it comes to all of these things. Fantastic show today. So this is a health crisis almost, isn't it, when we look at just the level of uh, how much we rely on these foods and just some of the health washing that is involved in it. I think this conversation's again brought, you know, so many challenges to the fore and we do need to kind of think, you know, one step above, um, you know, yes, there's the, you know, all of the different separate issues we've talked about today, but really first and foremost is, you know, how, how do we as a country want to set young people up for success? Do we want to make sure that the, the next generation is the healthiest we've ever had? Um, and how do we make sure that those opportunities are afforded to everyone, not just wealthy or certain postcodes? So, you know, that's why um, this week we, we, we launched a new piece of science uh, actually at Federal Parliament, which is a national countdown. So it's looking at the health of Australia's kids. We're going to report on it year on year and really look at a range of metrics. Mm. As your caller talked about, health is determined by so many different factors, including income and housing and the food we can afford and access. So we need to be measuring those different parameters. We need to be doing that every year and we need to be talking to our politicians and also speaking to the public. Uh, so we'll be doing that every year out to Amazing. 2030 now for World, for World Children's Day. And we're going to bring those metrics back, Rochelle, and talk about how our kids are doing and what we need to do as a country to make sure that they're healthiest in the world. And this isn't just for parents either. This isn't just for kids because this all has a fiscal impact that rolls on to our economy. The, the healthier the next generation can be, the better set up they can be. We're going to see those benefits right throughout the chain, whether you're a parent, a carer, mm -hmm. a grandparent or not. So I guess in that instance, Sandra, is this something that it's not just for those with little ones. This is something that everyone can benefit from, whether you're a oh, parent or not. For, for so many reasons, not only because if we set a food system up right for kids, we set it up right for everyone. If we have honest labelling, if we have a health star rating that works, if we have pricing that's fair, then everyone benefits from that, whether you've got kids or whether you don't. But it also because as a nation, if we invest in our kids, if we give them the best possible part, start in life, we end up with dividends across the health system with lower rates of chronic disease. We get better educational attainment, so better outcomes. We end up with a stronger economy. There are so many co-benefits mm. to investing in our kids. And that's aside from just saying, you know what, this is the right thing to do. And we didn't even touch on the fact that Santa and elves and all of the Christmas <laughs> oh, you didn't, you didn't. packaging that goes on to everything at the moment. As always, Dr. Sandro DeMaio, thank you so much for all of your work on this program. Yeah, it's been a fun year. year. Thank so you for we'll having us. We'll speak to you next year, Dr. Sandro DeMaio the CEO of Vic Health, Dr. Jay Martin, the Executive Manager for the Food Health Alliance. Thank you for fighting the fight that you fight. It is yeah, yeah. so important and congratulations you. on the win. And Dr. Alex Chung, who joined us from our Hobart studios, a Vic Health postdoctoral research fellow from Monash Uni and a part of the Health and Social Care Unit at the School of Public Health and Preventative Medicine. Alex, have a wonderful Christmas and holiday season. Thanks so much for joining us. That's my pleasure. Thank you. And this text, that says, I've just tuned in. Have you actually discussed ARFID, which I think is actually when we're talking about the fear of food and the levels of fear of mm -hmm. food, this is something that I'm really fascinated in. So if we don't do it this year, then we'll look into the difference between a fussy eater and the fear of food maybe next year. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Take care and we'll speak to you soon.